Hey guys, welcome to the We Ship It podcast. On this podcast, we talk about the famous literary couples of history, and we are super excited to share our first episode with you. Yes, so for our first episode, we are going to be talking about none other than Romeo and Juliet. Do we ship them? Do we not? Some of the underlying themes of their relationship and the text, and after that, we are going to announce the topic for our next episode. So stick around, please. Stick around till the end for that. Yay! Oh, so much fun. Hey guys, I'm Steph. And I'm Devin. And welcome to the We Ship It podcast. So today, like we mentioned earlier, we're going to be talking about Romeo and Juliet. And this is a super exciting moment for us because it's our first episode ever. Yay! Um, So we're really excited you're here. Welcome. And basically what the We Ship It podcast is all about, we're going to be talking literary or the famous literary couples of history, as well as couples that you guys might ship from TV shows or movies or anything like that. Um, So we really want to get engaged with you guys. And as you're listening, please feel free to send in your comments. Our email is weshipitpodcast at gmail.com, and we would love to engage with you. But um, hopping into our Romeo and Juliet discussion, Mm -hmm. we have a few questions that we're going to be going through, and me and Devin um, are going to be talking a little bit more about it. Um, So we're super excited that you guys are here with us today, and let's talk about whether or not Romeo and Juliet sync or float. I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) Something about a ship. Um, Okay, so our first question why did we choose Romeo and Juliet? And Devin, I don't know if you want to hop into that just a little bit. Yeah, I would love to. Um, so I think the main reason we kind of chose this one is because the Romeo and Juliet story is just so ingrained in us. Um, mm-hmm. It's in our music. It's in our movies. It's in tons of literature repeated again and again. Um, even if you've never read it before, um, which if you haven't, like why haven't you (laughs) get with it (laughs) (laughs) um so i think you could probably walk up to anyone on the street and they would probably like yes i understand who romeo and juliet are and because their names are so classic their story is also coined with their name so you kind of get the gist of it um it's the boy meets girl or star-crossed lovers kind of archetype the story that goes along with it and it has been used for decades maybe even more uh, and I think um, its development has spanned from like Disney movies to <laughs> even vampires and is <laughs> even incorporated to the music that we listen to. I think it's just crazy how it yep. uh, twists and binds its way throughout our entire lives and we don't even really uh, realize it. Yeah. No, those references are all over. Like Romeo and Juliet, whether it's like a theme reference to the star-crossed lover mm-hmm. or literally down to the word, like when you call someone a Romeo, you mean like they're desperately in love. Sometimes you mean wimpy. <laughs> <laughs> and sometimes you mean like a lover boy. Right. And these terms have been kind of ingrained in our culture. So I think you're 100% right about that. Um, but yeah, so something that I kind of wanted to talk about. I don't necessarily think and believe, so just so the fans or whoever's listening to this knows this, I don't necessarily think that there are that many people out there fangirling over Romeo oh, and Juliet anymore. No, absolutely not. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think, I don't, and this isn't like the main, like, so the main purpose of We Ship It is to talk about couples that have been impactful. And sometimes that's going to look like couples that um, made us swoon and made us really excited. But sometimes that's also going to talk about literary couples that, I don't know, that changed things in our in our culture. And Romeo and Juliet did just that. Oh, um, 100%. Their relationship shows its face in many of the relationships we'll be talking about in the future. And I think you kind of mentioned that, Devin, mm-hmm. with um, the references that we see in our own culture. Do we have to remind you um, about Taylor Swift's classic love story? Uh. <laughs> <laughs> You're right. <laughs> Her original works. Um, but yeah, no, it just the Romeo always comes up. Um, and, and the Juliet always comes up. Mm-hmm. Like, this is just something that in English classes you you learn to talk about uh, ever since absolutely. high school. One of my favorite discussions with my students, uh, either towards the end of Romeo and Juliet or even after we finish reading it in class, uh, is 
like where do you see the story in our culture today and they're always so passionate about it um they usually um search up the songs and i'll play them out loud for everyone and we'll do like a little like not a party but like we'll just like be able to relax a bit since we've already gone through the the whole text or mostly so they they get really passionate about it i don't know (laughs) i don't understand (laughs) (laughs) that's so great and like i remember kind of getting passionate about it in high school too Mm -hmm. and i i kind of now like understand why and i understand why as you grow you kind of like out phase it i don't know how to explain that yes and no um, like there's but do you parts know what of I it. mean like yeah the story is so like it's ingrained in us it mm-hmm. definitely is I'm not gonna say it's not right. but at the same time like there are parts of it that you can realize you can recognize as maybe not the healthiest as you grow <sighs> yes, whereas in high school much, like it's not so obvious to us when we're reading it um because but, that's what expected so, but we'll get into that <laughs> yeah 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 and we'll, we'll get into all of that um but so basically The last thing that I'll say on this is um, this story brings up a lot of debate. And we're actually going to be talking about some really heated comments that we got from our audience (laughs) um, later in the show. And it really does bring up the debate of was this truly a love story? Um, Is love at first sight a real thing? And we're going to be talking about that a little bit more later, which I'm excited to hear what you have to say about it. Definitely. Um, but maybe we should move on to the next question. <laughs> All right. Um, so the next question is, why is it essential to watch Shakespeare and to not just read Shakespeare? Mm, this is a great question. And like I said earlier, I think it's going to be, we're going to be talking a lot about Shakespeare's purpose in this, um, mm-hmm. more than we're going to be talking about their lovey dovey moments, because there are only so many when it comes to <laughs> Romeo and Juliet. <laughs> Um, and also, as we're going to talk about later, some of them aren't that great. So just talking about Shakespeare's purpose, I think, is a huge thing behind them in general. And I would say when it comes to Shakespeare, when it comes to reading the text, first of all, with our modern like way of speaking, it's really hard to read. But um, Shakespeare, the way that it was experienced when it was first experienced was in play form it was Mm -hmm. experienced in real life it wasn't just people reading the text Um, sometimes people didn't even know how to read the text so it was just something that was meant to be engaging an audience Um, and it adds a whole yeah it adds a whole level of drama and like I said before the wording's kind of hard to grasp as you're reading it so it just adds a whole new level and new perspective when you see it in person yeah you're talking about people that probably like like you said, have never read before. So there'd be no way for them to really grasp if it was handed, like the, the text, if it was handed to them. So Shakespeare was meant to be performed. It was meant to be seen and meant to be heard. Um, and usually um, when it comes to my classes, like my students are sometimes too nervous to even perform it or to read it in class. But once they get into it, they realize how much better it is for them to actually understand the text and to be a part of the text that's what's meant to be like you want to be a part of the relationships that are happening in front of you 100 percent, and that's why that's why Shakespeare I think we're going to be talking a lot about different relationships in Shakespeare because they're they're ultimately a lot more dramatic than you'll find in a novel but that's because they were meant to be portrayed they were meant to be lived through and I think it's just a completely different thing when you live through that with a person on a stage than through the lines a whole like spin, spin on, it. on yeah. this relationship Completely. in general. Um, but yeah, and like you said, like it's a language thing, but it's also like, have you ever had a texting argument or a texting conversation and you just don't because get all don't the emotion out it. of it? Exactly. That's how I view a lot of Shakespeare. Because yeah, people just don't get the emotion behind stuff. Yeah, and it's or tough to like... Or even just emails, not even texting, just emails. Like so you could like rewording yeah, something like, poorly. Were they passive aggressive? or what um so that's why we have emojis now but shakespeare didn't have emojis (laughs) so it's hard to follow their relationships sometimes and understand it um but moving on Mm -hmm. um the next question that we have um is why do you think romeo and juliet has become the centerfold of literary romantic relationships Hmm. it's interesting (laughs) Because uh, we t- we've been talking about how it's just become like a, a centerpiece. It's become like the cornerstone of a lot of texts. Um, I think that's almost because of like how we've incorporated it into our lives. Um, 
I mean, we say when we get married, like, till death do us part, right? So it showcases that idea so well and presents the question of whether this um, this kind of love is beautiful or if it's unhealthy. Like, um, in Romeo and Juliet, like, is their love something to be admired or is it something that you're like, it's a little all right (laughs) (laughs) yeah and we're gonna get into that later with some of the comments i'm really excited to like show people what um other people who have read the text feel about it but i think when it comes to romeo and juliet like it captivates a lot of people even if we're talking about it like oh my gosh romeo and juliet right now i still think there's something within all of us that this love story captivates us and That is if you read it as a love story. But um, there's something enticing about the idea that you love someone so much that you would die for them. And I think that's a very real, super unhealthy, um, but sometimes real desire that people have to be someone's one and only. And I think that's why this story really touches people's hearts. You also have to think about the protagonists, too. Um, Mm -hmm. I mean, it's set in their teenage years. So um, one of the most followed after things that comes with teenagers is drama uh so yep. so like students <laughs> romeo's a drama queen <laughs> he is uh so students get like really into the idea but once they start to analyze the text and the characters they see like the cracks in it all and it just like almost falls apart mm-hmm. in a sense too right and that's why i think it's so important that that high schoolers are reading about this relationship oh, 100%. because as a teenager, I used to actually kind of love Romeo's devotion to Juliet, <laughs> even if I wouldn't admit it. But as you like analyze it with a teacher, as you analyze it with a friend, you realize that maybe this isn't the way, like the best way to love someone. And maybe it's not true love. Um, and I think that that's something that is such a coming of age topic that will never get old and that's why it's important for students to read this but in a healthy (laughs) analytical (laughs) sort of way (laughs) you know what Um, i mean (laughs) and i think this idea of love although poorly like constructed in their minds i the idea behind it like the conquering of a feud especially in like today's day and age uh, the conquering of a feud with love um provides us with a sense of like hope which i think is really cool Mm mm-hmm hundred percent. And something that I just want to add <laughs> at the end of this, this is one of Shakespeare's most known works. I mean, that's, it's, you know, irrefutable at this point. And my question, this is like a, I didn't prepare Devin for this question. Why do you think this is his most known work? Why not Hamlet? Like Hamlet's up there. Why not Macbeth? Why is Romeo and Juliet what so many people think of when they hear Shakespeare's name? I think it's because of the age of the protagonists, like Romeo and Juliet. They're in their, like, like I said before, they're in their teenage years. So everyone kind of ex- experience, obviously, everyone experiences the teenage and the angst and the everything goes, the hormones and everything goes along with that. So I think that's why everyone uh, can kind of relate to them in some manner. Um, and also the, um, like, the overarching feud that goes on. Um, between the two houses um, I think that is a big piece that kind of like translate to any type of history um, that's my thought because uh, like like you said like it is it is one of his most favored works I mean there's Hamlet there's Midsummer Night's Dream there's Macbeth but like everyone kind of comes comes back to Romeo and Juliet and it's like oh my gosh remember that like and they, that, I think that's really and cool and I think a hundred percent and I think there's something a lot deeper about Romeo and Juliet. Mm-hmm. Like obviously Shakespeare gets deep in a lot of plays. I mean, you see you see Hamlet talking to himself about to be or not <laughs> to be, like should I even exist sort of thing. But I think Romeo and Juliet touches on that depth that he usually touches on, but talking about love in different ways, whether or not it's about familial love or um, their relationship and the the two the dichotomy between passion that is love-centered passion and hate-centered passion is just so on display in this text. So that's all I'll say about that. It always confuses me why Romeo and Juliet is like number one. I think I understand it, but like at the same time, he has so many great works and like that's why we chose to start with this, obviously, because Romeo and Juliet has impacted our culture so much. 100%. My next question for us is, are there different versions 
are different versions of the same text necessary? Um, is it important to have different like different visions of a same text? Um, and so I'll kind of start off and then you can kind of follow up. Um, but so this past year, I went to see Scotland in PA um, with some friends um, off Broadway. So for those that don't know, um, it's a modern day remake of Macbeth. Um, that was originally a film before coming to the stage with music added. Um, I just thought it was really cool that I knew the story, but seeing it through a new eyes, a new set of eyes, um, was quite powerful. Um, I think new and newly renovated versions are necessary to reach a larger audience, to connect us as a people, because um, not everyone is going to relate to the same material, the same concept. Um, but if we branch it out, then more people can relate to that, and then it will come back to the centerfold. Um, last year, I also came across a graphic novel for Romeo and Juliet. It was really cool. Um, and it's actually published by No Fear Shakespeare, the same people that have like the double-sided um, regular text with um, like a new, newly updated version. Um, it was actually, and it actually helped a student who would otherwise have not have read the text or had more difficulty reading the text um, read it. So I thought it was really cool how like they made it into this more visual piece since um, maybe not everyone can perform it, but they can at least visually see a graphic novel and, um, and still read the text from there. So I thought that was cool. Right. It is important to have um, different versions of the same text, especially when it comes to this kind of text, when we're talking Romeo and Juliet. Um, and just the emotion of Shakespeare needs to be brought through to, to different audiences in different ways, because that's the only way that the, the true meaning of the text will shine through to everyone, because everyone's different. Um, so essentially, I similarly had another experience um, to you that I went somewhere and I saw Shakespeare in a completely different way. And it just like made me think about it in a different way. Is so this the Globe story? I went to see it is. I'm it's excited. the Globe Theater. <laughs> um, so I went to see Midsummer Night's Dream at the Globe Theater in London. And I thought it was really cool because I could have a beer. And <laughs> I need to get there. It was just really fun. Um, and we were all just standing out there together, almost like we were in at a concert, like a general admission mosh pit right, kind of concert. That's how they did it. Um, that's how they did it. And we were at the Globe Theater and it was so cool. They recreated Midsummer Night's Dream as a Bollywood story. Oh my gosh. So there was a lot of like Indian culture like put into it. And that was, it was just really neat. And it was very modern. Um, and man, it was so awesome. Like, I don't know if like it's completely necessary to have added a Bollywood version to Midsummer Night's right. Dream, but it did bring <laughs> out, it did bring out like, other aspects of the text that like my modern brain just needed a different perspective yeah like, and it's cool bringing it. in a different um, culture and still having yes. it make the same like fit the same story exactly um exactly so it's just it just makes it easier for different readers to relate to the story and it's just fun so that's why i think when it comes to romeo and Juliet in particular with all of the debate that goes on with it, I think it's important to show it in as many lights, as, as many lights as possible um, for people to try and get the real purpose behind what Shakespeare was saying. And uh, with that, I'm actually going to add a little follow-up question. Um, let's talk spin-off series. So I want to talk to you about movies because you know Romeo and Juliet has been remade a lot. Um, and you're going to talk probably some of those movies that um, were just Romeo and Jul Juliet stories that were modernized. And then I want to talk West Side Story after that ah, too. Yes. So what made... Yes, you know it. Um, but what main differences are there in the movies that you've seen? And are any of those relationships more bearable, possibly, than like the original Romeo and Juliet? And why do you think that is? All right. So I know with, I'll start with our classes. So in class, we analyze, we look at two different movies. Um, one being the Baz Luhrmann, uh, the 1996. That one has Leonardo DiCaprio in it. Um, and oh, the, yeah. right, Leo. <laughs> and the other one that Leo. we look at is the more traditional um, and earlier published or produced one was uh, Franco Zeffirelli. Um, and that one, 
everyone calls uh, the Troy Bolton movie because uh, <laughs> the actor uh, Leonardo he looks, like Troy <laughs> he looks exactly. Yeah. I get it. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I'll talk. That one, uh, the Zeffirelli one, is more of the classic version of it. Um, it is set in the older days, and it, the storyline kind of aligns straight through the straight through the um, the axe. Um, so if you are looking for, if you're like, I'm not a big, I'm in this quarantine, I don't necessarily want to read Romeo and Juliet, but I I'm kind of interested in it. I would highly recommend the Zeffirelli version because that is the most like um, put together for Romeo and Juliet. Um, the other one, the Baz Luhrmann, um, because it is set in 19, uh, 1996, uh, it's a total 90s flick. It is so crazy how they set this up. Um, the kids freak out when they watch this one. The, the opening scene is just, I don't know if it's funny <laughs> or if it's just like so absurd that I'm like, what? Um, they changed the setting. So it, what's really cool, um, so it's, it stars um, Leonardo DiCaprio and Claire Danes and even Paul Rudd makes an appearance. Um, Paul Rudd. I know, right? I, see, I've never seen this movie, but you I need to. Sh- you should. Um, so they changed the original. Um, play is set in italy obviously uh, they move it to a beach and a metropolis area um and some changes that are made are just like the introduction because it's modernized they instead of swor- uh, swords instead of swords they use guns <laughs> swords, swords. <laughs> instead of swords <laughs> instead of swords they use guns you're gonna say it again I know, i'm sorry um their costumes when they go to um the ball it is like a costume party so their costumes reflect their characters in a sense um so for example romeo is dressed in like this knight in shining armor whereas of course he is and then rome uh, not romeo juliet is dressed in like an angel (laughs) romeo and romeo whole different story (laughs) (laughs) that would be a different story (laughs) juliet is dressed in this uh angel outfit so it kind of just like shows their character and like the lovey-dovey um setting that they're going to be in soon um they update the rivalry so it's actually two companies that are going against each other um and they also introduce drugs into the storyline um <laughs> just to like mix it up a little bit make it more uh, i guess modern i, I modern guess modern and almost like acceptable acceptable as to like how romeo gets into the whole situation with um forgetting about rosaline and focusing more on Juliet um and they changed the whole ending do I agree with it I don't know they don't it's not like it's not the same as West Side Story which we'll get to that shortly but like he doesn't kill he doesn't kill Paris um and right at the end they try to create this emotional scene where Juliet wakes up as he is drinking the um the poison so he realizes that she's alive and then he dies. And then she's like, oh, no. Uh, <laughs> uh, oh, my god! So then she, instead of, like I said, instead of a, uh, a knife, she uses a gun. And um, so they kind of do that little twist to kind of build more um, anticipation, that kind of thing. Um, so I think they're both very good. Um, but, yeah, the, the 90s. Um, rend- An interesting 90s time. <laughs> is definitely uh, a an interesting one, one yeah. to to put forward. <laughs> Does it make their relationship any different? I don't think it makes it different. Like I said, the the older one um, kind of replicates it to the same part, um, and the other one I think they try to focus more on the relationship than um, what's going on um, in their families. Um, so I think they kind of with their visuals, with their the color. Um, the costumes and everything they try and focus more on the character and their love story so does it work i think for some people it does i mean it's leonardo dicaprio sure. falling for a girl so like oh you know, you know some people are like all about that but for me yes. i think it was good uh, yeah it was all right 
<laughs> it was all right. Um, yeah, and so, like, I didn't see those movies, so I can't comment on it. But I do know that a lot of people love the Leo mm-hmm. version oh, of it. for sure. Which I... The kids are excited I need to get to watching on. it. They're ex- I wonder why that is. <laughs> um, but so then I want to talk West Side Story because yes. West Side Story is called, like, a, ro- a modern Romeo and Juliet mm-hmm. or whatever. But... Honestly, there are a lot of differences to it that I think completely change the relationship. It does. And like while you were saying that like there are differences in those other movies that but it's still Romeo and Correct. Juliet. Correct. They don't it doesn't it change it. the relationship to a drastic measure. Where I think where you're going to get with West Side Story, I I agree. Like it definitely does change the relationship for sure. Yeah. And like West Side Story, I love West Side Story. And honestly, I am right now making a mental note that we need to make an entire episode on Tony and Maria. Um, I'm really bummed. And we're going to have to have... I'm really bummed. I was supposed to go and see West Side Story on Broadway because they just just, uh, released a new version of it on Broadway. Get out. Yeah, so I'm I'm really bummed. Maybe they'll put it online or something. Maybe. I mean, I don't think it's closing, but my opportunity was canceled. So maybe I'll I'll have to make my own opportunity to go up and see it. Well, we'll make it happen, Devin, <laughs> we'll don't you worry. But happen. as far as like West Side Story goes, mm-hmm. I can't get over it. There are some structural differences, right? Char- character differences and more. But I think the main thing that appeals to me about Tony and Maria is that they seem genuinely in love. Whereas you look at Romeo and Juliet and you think it's such like, like there is an aspect of Tony and Maria that, oh, they're young, like whatever. But it just seems so much more genuine than the 14-year-old like Romeo and Juliet or however old, because I think Romeo is older than her. Um, But maybe it just comes from the fact that it's a modern adaptation. But I think there are actual differences that make their relationship different. For example, um, in the beginning, we don't see Tony obsessing over another girl, which Uh. is something I'm going to talk about a little bit more later. But why would Shakespeare include the fact that Romeo's obsessing over Rosaline or whatever. Why would he include that if it didn't mean something? Exactly. And like when it comes to West Side Story, Tony does not do that. He's just sort of like a level-headed guy who's working and he's like, oh, whatever happens, happens. And then it happens and his life is changed. Mm -hmm. Um, So that's really awesome. Right. He doesn't go back to the, like he's healthier, whereas Romeo like shuts out everyone and just goes and kills himself (laughs) at the end. Like not healthy. Um, But a scene that like I know we're going to talk more about if we have a we have a an episode on these two. The scene I love that like makes me feel that genuineness to their relationship is that scene where they give their vows in the dress shop. Mm-hmm. Um, it kills me. You know, I literally had this song playing at my wedding, "Make of mm-hmm. Our Heart One Heart" or whatever, mm-hmm. um, and it's just so beautiful. And they just love each other, and it's so clear. And I think the 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 main point that proves that their relationship is a little bit different is at the end, Maria walks off. Tony dies um, because of the craziness that's going on, because he tries to to stop it with, with the rift that's going on. And Maria doesn't die. She doesn't see him dead and kill herself. She walks off and she lives her life, right? And they really wanted to get away together. They weren't just two young, foolish people, um, but they wanted the world to accept them and they wanted to to be together. And when that didn't happen... It's not like Maria was like, well, the world the world can't deal with me and Tony, so I'm going to kill myself. Mm-hmm. Sort of like Romeo and Juliet did. Right. Um, but rather, she lived her life, and she lived it having been better for knowing Correct. him. And that's why I love that story. Right. I think um, it makes it much more it, powerful. Um, you really get a sense of like the pain that surrounds their constrained relationship. It really, you do, you do, because you really feel like they actually cared about each other, and it's not just like a, a lusty... <laughs> sort of 14 year old dramatic (laughs) relationship um but you know you just feel it so much more deeply in west side story with that being said we're going to move into our next question um and this one (laughs) we would be crazy if we did not talk about this um (laughs) the timeline of this play yes can can you just (laughs) please talk about this real quick can we talk about this yes Absolutely, absolutely. And so here's my thing about the timeline, right? I just reread this story and I feel like when I was in high school, I remember 
it felt like it was long because I had to get through all that really, really tough Shakespeare stuff. Through the entirety of the text in school. Exactly. Right. Exactly. So it feels a lot longer. But I literally re I just reread Romeo and Juliet to get ready for this episode, and holy crap, they move quick. Like, what was it? Three it was days, four days that it took <laughs> four, four, days. four days. Whatever it was, like I was reading it and I was like, oh, I'm already at this scene where they're like married. It, oh, like, okay. It was like yeah, ten I minutes understand. after I started reading, <laughs> and it's like the fact that such intense emotions are brought forth in the span of just a few days. It just doesn't make any sense. Right. But obviously, like like younger relationships just like never make much sense. And that's Correct. how like these relationships but I think form. The younger so relationships are the ones that have that amount of intensity as well. Definitely. Definitely. And that's why it is more realistically a young person Correct. relationship. Because it <laughs> happened in four days. But then they they literally kill themselves. Mm -hmm. And my problem is Romeo was in love in love with another woman the day before. Mm -hmm. So, mm -hmm. <laughs> and like, we probably won't talk much more. Like, I don't know if you have anything else to say about the timeline, but it's just something that needs to be noted that this young man was literally like, Mercutio, I'm in love with this girl. And Mercutio was like, you'll find another one at the dance, like making all these sexual references. And then like, he did find another one at the dance, but this was the one that he chose to die mm -hmm. for, which is like, what if he just lived another a couple another of days? <laughs> Would he have found someone right. else that he was obsessed with? Just like, I kidding. Don't know. Yeah, <laughs> it's like okay, dude. Yeah, like um, I can accept, I can accept that Julia is only fourteen, while Romeo is in his later teens. I can accept that concept. Okay, it's the older days. Everything moved a little bit faster. They got married when they were younger. Got it. I accept that. What I don't get is how. Four days qualifies as a lifetime of love that you are willing to die for someone. I, I don't yeah. get it. <laughs> <laughs> and I think that's part of what Shakespeare is trying to say. Mm -hmm. It's a cautionary tale yes. more than anything. Like, okay, kids, like you, you think this is your ideal relationship? Well, maybe not because they didn't really love right. each other and they died in four days. Um, but we're going to talk more about that right. later. I think it just amazes me how fast they move. And the adult, the oh, yeah. the adults, the adults, quote unquote, yeah. presented in the text, do not help in the situation. No, they don't, and they just like push things along Correct. by trying to like marry and her I'll off talk about to later, someone else. And I have two that I have an egg with, and we'll get to that. Oh boy, an egg! <laughs> Did you say an egg? Yeah. <laughs> I got some bones to pick. This is great. Okay. <laughs> well, moving on from the yes, egg. Sorry, I'm sorry. <laughs> Um, what, so what is one of the biggest driving forces in the text? You know, we have themes such as teen drama and rebellion and love and meddling and destiny, you know, et cetera. So what, what is it that you think is the biggest driving force? Uh, um, I probably have to, obviously the, the, we'd be wrong to not say that teen drama. I think teen drama is a huge part of it, but more specifically, I think rebellion is one of the underlying like motivators um yep the teenage rebellion story we have it every like couple of decades we see it in music we see it in um the culture that is produced during those yep. times um when we first meet juliet she is a quiet obedient and innocent young lady yep and she is emphasized throughout the text um throughout the entire play a majority of it for how young, pure, and innocent and innocent that she is. Um, yeah. So when she meets Romeo, this is her first real decision to do something for herself. It's her first stand up to her parents and be like, sorry, I'm not going to do what you say. I'm going to marry this guy anyway. Um, and we see this develop as she stands up to her father later um, about the proposal for marriage from Paris. But like, you just see how she goes from this quiet, obedient lady I'm going to do this for myself. And now I'm like, sorry, dad, it's not happening. Uh, so I, I see, I think that is a huge driving force throughout the rebellion. And the other one, <laughs> so getting to my egg, your the egg. nurse, <laughs> bring up your the egg. nurse and Friar Lawrence, <laughs> they infuriate me. I don't under poor Friar Lawrence was just trying to do a good deed no, by the families. No, he's not. <laughs> 
I don't understand it's... why they meddle in the midst of this. They know that this is such yeah. a touchy touch. Like the entire city knows about these two households, and the friar is like, you know what? I think I can solve this. <laughs> and I'm like, no, you can't. Well, it's a commentary on parental figures too. Like, because ultimately, Friar Lawrence and the nurse are more parental figures. Like, obviously, their real parents Correct. aren't there. They are the at all. They are the literary mentor parental figures instead yeah. of their parents because their parents clearly sidelined them throughout the text. And not they don't always know what's best for you. Mm-hmm. And like that's clear in this whole like the nurse just wants to marry her off. And I and, and I understand that like, they want to try and heal this relationship between the two families. I understand that that is their main goal. But going about it in a sneaky manner is not healthy for the couple or right in morality reasons. Like it's just not You know good. it, Devin. <laughs> So they <laughs> you they arrange it. a secret wedding. They arrange for them to have some hanky panky time. They arrange for <laughs> they arrange for this fake Friar suicide. Friar Lawrence, what are you <laughs> they doing? They arrange sir? for this fake suicide to take place. <laughs> and all the all the time that this is happening, Friar's like, "Okay, Romeo, you gotta slow down." But he's also encouraging him to move faster throughout it as to speed like, up. Yeah, you're giving me mixed signals here. Tell me what you want from me. Ah, so the two of them are just like I I envision them as like little yentas. Don't get me wrong, like, like you I know from the Fiddler characters. on the. I love them, yes. but I also like. They, they also infer, which is which what which is what makes them good characters. They're little like matchmakers, yes. and they're little like <laughs> mischievous, wanting to get involved in their own ways. Yeah. But <laughs> there could be honestly a whole we could do a whole discussion okay. on these characters. <laughs> but um, so what, what's yeah, your for, what's your opinion on that? Uh, so as far as like the biggest driving forces, uh, I don't know. Like teen drama's a part of it, most definitely. They're teenagers, and it's clear. Um, but I think maybe the real force behind a lot of it is romance in its best and worst forms. Mm. So I think Shakespeare really wanted to focus on maybe an unhealthy type of love and something that he saw around him a lot. And maybe it was a cautionary tale to young people that don't let your emotions get the most of you. I mean, look what happens here. Um, You know, and something else that I think comes up a lot is people talk a lot about fate and destiny. Fate and destiny as the driving force behind Romeo and Juliet um, because of the nature of their deaths, Mm -hmm. right? How they were doomed from the start. But I tend to think it's less a story about destiny and more of a story about saying to hell with my future. Maybe in the name of what you think is desired destiny. Um, Because ultimately, like, Shakespeare isn't commenting that this is a good destined thing (laughs) that should have happened. Like... Maybe it's more a commentary, what am I even saying? It's a commentary on how this idea of destiny and placing all of your marbles in this idea of destiny could be a bad thing. And that's even where the term star-crossed lovers comes from. The um, destiny um, is tearing you apart in a sense. Um, Mm -hmm. Because back then they looked to the stars to to tell their destiny where they were supposed to go. And that that is brought up in the text as well. So, ah. It's all good. No, I I completely yes. <laughs> so let's move on to our next question. Um, do you think this is true romance, or do you think it is out of convenience, or even out of lust? Ah, okay. I'm gonna throw out. So I I did some research on Spark Notes <laughs> <laughs> before we did this discussion, and they called it a relationship of convenience and lust. And mm. to be quite frank with you, I'm gonna throw out the term convenience. I don't think that that's accurate. I'm gonna explain why, but okay. I definitely think there's lust there. Um, as far as Romeo goes, it was lust, but he didn't. I think it's not lust in a sense of Romeo knew that he was going after as a predator this girl. I think. Romeo was Romeo, a complete, a total horn dog. He's a horn dog, but but here's the thing: I think that he confused his lustful feelings for, for love. love. Oh, because yeah. why? If it was true, like and de- like bad lust, he wouldn't have killed himself in the end. Yeah, like he wouldn't have taken it so seriously. Um, and something that I think proves that lust was part of it is Mercutio's quotes before they go into the party (laughs) when he's joking with Romeo and he's like you'll find a new woman and he brings he says the word prick like a hundred times because it's supposed to be like a sexual Mm -hmm. reference Um, I think Mercutio understood the situation better than Romeo and he seemed more mature but what he should have done was 
not joked with him about it and made him feel small because teenagers hate mm-hmm. that and will always rebel against that. He should have talked to him about it as a true friend. And as much as I love Mercutio, right. um, and I think that he, he did, did mess not up in get that what he deserved, <laughs> he, he messed up there as being his um, best friend, a mentor to Rome, Romeo and being his best friend. Um, and I'm just, like I said before, I'm going to throw out the term convenience. Some make the argument that Juliet wanted to leave her parents' house and like getting with Romeo was like the way to do that. I truly don't buy that. You know, I think she genuinely fell mm. for this guy. I think from his point of view, it was lust. But from what I read of Juliet, it seems like a an immature but genuine middle school-esque type of love. Oh, he's pretty and he says pretty things to me, but that doesn't mean that it's not real. I don't think that she was trying to get out of her house. Like she obviously didn't want to be married off to anyone Mm -hmm. else. And if it was just convenience, she would have married someone else um, to get out of there. So that's my thought on that. It was definitely lust related, um, but convenience, I'm not sure. What about you? No, those were my complete thoughts. I was, I'm, I'm agreeing 100% on all those uh, aspects. Um, like Mercutio, while he's being a player, like he should have been there. He should have been able to, yeah, um, like make those jokes, but also like bring it into the real situation. Like, um, that's all good and all, but keep in mind, like you need to be be healthy as well. Um, yep. And I think being his friend, I think that was the best way for. I think that was his intention. It just didn't come off that way to Romeo, which... Right. Eh, okay. Which um, changed things in a bad right. way. Um, and that's pretty much... I agree. Like, Romeo, like I said, was a horn dog, And Juliet kind of just... <laughs> it's one of her first decisions in her life, like I said. So she was yep. all head over heels for this guy. Um, yep. So I think hers was more of an almost pure... Not pure, but just like more intentional love, whereas his was more like, this is what I want, and oh, I think I also might have feelings for her at the same time. So it's kind of like right. this, this uh, overlapping of the feelings. Exactly, exactly. So that definitely covers that. Um, and then moving on to this question that I think is so funny. Romeo, is he a stalker or is he a lover? What would you call <laughs> Romeo? <laughs> I love it. Uh, I guess it cracks me up. Uh, Romeo, I think, is definitely a stalker. Um, (laughs) (laughs) The scenes in the movie are just too funny. Uh, Like, in both iterations, they're just hilarious how they portray it. And I think it's so... so, It just fits the scene so well. My students crack up when they see it. Um, Yes. They can't get past the creepy, awkward nature of it. And it's... Yeah, because it's literally this. He just shows, he shows up, up and everywhere. It's outside of her room, and the, I'm talking about the balcony scene. Like he shows up outside of her room, and he's just hiding in the trees, or sneaking <laughs> and climbing up to her to her balcony. It's just so funny how it goes about. Um, Throwing it back to Tony in West Side Story when he shows up to the balcony. Oh my God, I swoon at it, but still creepy. <laughs> Go ahead. <laughs> um, so I think it's just. It's a weird line that is played out um, between stalker and lover, and I think he mm-hmm. balances. I think he balances it out, so that's why you can't like, necessarily say like, "Oh, he's totally like a creeper," or he's more of a lover, because I think he he because the the looking the is almost um like accepted or appreciated by Juliet. Um, while it startles her at first, like she's almost like, oh my gosh, he's here. Uh, uh, he's here. I can't right. get over it. Um, and Romeo is so smooth. How he talks to her, um, the pickup lines, he knows how to like talk to her. Um, so in my mind, the love is pure, but I could totally see a spinoff, like another version of this, like we talked about earlier, more like a like the, the Netflix You where it's like yep. it could, al- it oh could almost gosh. be like a a creepier version of Romeo and Juliet. Yes. Yes. And so my response to this question, mm-hmm. he's definitely a stalker. You're 100% right. Like he's a creep. But I don't think that that means he's not a lover no. either. Um, I think Romeo is a natural born lover. And whether that means like truly loving someone, whether it's a good or a bad thing, mm-hmm. I think he knows just what to say and just what to do to get the girl <laughs> and to, to make her swoon. 
And I think that that makes him a lover, um, but a creepy lover at that. So this, this question is really, it's a very interesting mm-hmm. one. Um, but moving on. So moving in from that discussion, um, what were some of the best and almost some of the worst ship moments that we've seen in Romeo and Juliet? Yes, this is going to be my favorite part to talk about. Um, So unfortunately, I think I have more bad and (laughs) awkward than good, but I'll start with the good because they are there. Um, Obviously, we were saying that a lot of people are captivated by the story. And I, okay, I know that you mentioned this was kind of creepy, the balcony scene, but I love that scene. Oh, no, yeah, it's definitely like their most iconic scene. It drives me crazy. Not in like a weird way, but it drives me crazy because it's so iconic in the yearning of a young person. Mm-hmm. Like we are we are distanced from each other. We're far away and yet we're close. Uh, like obviously my parents won't let me off of my balcony, but I'm still here with you, mm-hmm. you know? And their monologues are so good too. Like I remember um, when we had to memorize our monologues in class. Oh my God, uh, <laughs> I know. <laughs> but I think I think that helped. In, and like in doing so, we definitely... Um, helped us learn the language and to understand the words and the true meaning behind the words that they were saying. Yeah. Um, so I think it just yep. became a little bit more real. And the, yeah. the the two monologues separate that they performed there are just so good. Um, they're, beautiful. they're beautiful. I remember when I was, so I did the Juliet mm-hmm. one. Oh, Romeo, Romeo, wherefore art thou, Romeo? My favorite part of it is when she talks about denying her name for him. Right. And like that and so genuine. is like, yes, it's like an acceptable, like it's weird a little bit, but it's an acceptable mm-hmm. yearning right. rather than I'm going to kill myself sort of yearning. It's mm-hmm. the acceptable, like, I am so in love with you that I want to give up something of myself to mm-hmm. you. Like it just, it, it sounds a little weird in our modern society, but I feel like that would have been a plausible relationship where it goes in the end is not so plausible, but the, the teenagers on the balcony, like I, I love it. It's such a such a good scene for it. Like the scenery is perfect to describe what they're feeling, and they also mm-hmm. just like so eloquently speak. Um, yeah. But okay, moving on some to some of moments. my not so favorite ships. <laughs> um, so a bad moment that I it bothers me so much is when Tybalt dies and Romeo's like. Yo, I'm sorry. Well, he doesn't even go to her first. I'm thinking West Side Story. Um, when Tybalt dies, Romeo has killed him, and the nurse tells Juliet. And Juliet is, like, mad at first, and she's like, Romeo is like a, he's a, what does she call him? Like, she calls him all these oxymoronic terms. Right. Like, he's a bad saint, and all these sort of things, in better words, mm-hmm. obviously. I can't think of it right now. But... Then, within a second, she turns around and she starts saying, oh my gosh, like, I'm such a bad wife. How could I have been against Romeo for a moment? And she starts crying that he's banished. And I'm like, bro, your cousin just died at the hands of this guy that you met three days ago. Like, do you want to question that a little Mm -hmm. bit? And it just bugs me so, so much. But Um, See, I I have mixed feelings here. I agree with you. I agree with you in some regards, but I also see a bit of development here. Um, with Juliet, okay. I, I see it as like she is torn between her loyalties, um, her loyalty to her family through the death of Tybalt and also the love for her husband. So her two, I like her, that. Two, her two worlds that were once separated, her family and Romeo have now collided. And I don't know, it's just crazy to see like she's no longer in this fairy tale love story. She has to accept that love is not perfect. It's messy. And it's usually, but it just doesn't usually end with a dead cousin and your husband being the murderer. (laughs) (laughs) So, like, I completely agree. Like, that's actually a good perspective. It shows her conflicted Mm -hmm. nature. Like, I, I, Um, having performed that in class, the kids, the kids are so confused about it, and I understand that because it's that moment is so confusing, and I don't understand it myself wholly at times. But I see, but I see her mentally making that decision in her mind going back and forth between her two loyalties is she going to be loyal to her family or is she going to be loyal to her new family in a sense exactly no i get that 100 percent um i i do understand but i think at the same time it just makes me really angry because looking back at it i'm like that's super Mm -hmm. unhealthy but um but yeah so we technically kind of agree on that and then lastly 
I mean, this is a cliche thing for me to say, but I think it's important. Their deaths are so contrived and they seem so like created. Obviously they were, they were written about, but it doesn't feel romantic to me. And I don't think it's meant to either. Um, it does, it doesn't even feel like a tragedy sometimes. Like it just feels like an empty ending. The way that they, one died and then one woke up and then the other died. It just, it seems so contrived and it feels empty and then their families come together and it's like ah okay like I guess this must have been the real goal of the story like right. the, the changes in their family's dynamic um, but it's just not satisfying for their relationship see, I think it's different if you see it um, mm-hmm. because then you naturally in theater you become more absorbed in a character's relationships um, when you are right. seeing it live so I feel like if depending on how, like, how you feel about this um, if you see it, you can kind of feel more for the characters that are going through it. Um, right. Because I agree, like, one death, then another, then another. Like, um, it kind of, like, almost defeats the purpose. But I think that's also what Shakespeare's trying to get across. Like, death does right. not fix something. Like, because you think this is right, it doesn't fix it. Right. But it, it does in the end. <laughs> A hundred percent. No, you're a hundred percent right. So our next question for us to diagnose to get into is um, what was Shakespeare's motive or message with Romeo and Juliet? Was it a love at first sight story or was there something deeper hidden within it? Yeah. Go ahead, Steph. Um, so I think that we've kind of addressed yes, this, we have but already. I think it's important that we do address it in, in itself. Um, yeah. So I don't think the message of Romeo and Juliet is quote, like, this is how a true and passionate love story should Mm -hmm. look, unquote, right? I think it's deeper than that. I think Shakespeare ultimately was trying to show us a cautionary tale of two young lovers who got in too deep. Um, And maybe how passions running wild never end up good. You know, passions in the lustful relationship-y sense, but also passions in the running hot against an Mm -hmm. enemy sense that their family has against each other. These are two ends and extremes of passion. And ultimately, both lead to the death of two young people mm-hmm. in the name of love. Several so people. I think it's just, yeah, of several people in the name of quote unquote love, love and like quote unquote family. And I think what we see in the end is their their understanding that it was all of that and all of these layers of bad passion yeah. that led to these. And you deaths. really get to see like um, lust corrupts the pure nature of a relationship. Um, it kind yes. of like darkens it in a sense and you see that come to especially in literature you can always tell (laughs) and you see that come to life in the story as well um and i think it is i think it is a story of a failed love um from the start like and i think you're supposed to we're supposed to as an audience see it and be like okay now i now i know what i'm not supposed to do i'm not supposed to rush into love i'm not supposed to be holy about um in the sense that it's all about the physique is all about the passion. No, it has to come from a mm-hmm. deeper sense of understanding. Um, yes. No, that's 100% right. Um, so now getting to that final question mm. that is very philosophical and less about Romeo and Juliet, but more about what their relationship means mm-hmm. and how we can take something from it. So the last question is love at first sight. Is it real? What are your thoughts on love at first sight? Uh, see, I find that so hard to answer because I'm so conflicted about it. The romantic in me obviously wants to say, duh, yes. And there are people out there that will claim this to their deathbed. (laughs) Not intended for Romeo and Juliet. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But is love at first sight? Is love at first sight real? I have no idea. Like, however, (laughs) I will say that there's a magic about love. There's a spark to love. You're so right, Devin. Um, it can't be contained. It cannot be replicated. Like, there's no way to reproduce the same feeling. Um, can there be an attraction at fir- at first sight? Yes, 100%. Yep. But the big word, the L word, like, love, I don't know if I'm fully sold on that. I think you can be attracted at first sight and um, come into the idea that Yes, I could potentially see myself with that person, but I don't know if it's right. love at first sight. So Right. And like you said, like this is an impossible question mm-hmm. to answer. Um, but I think in any like modern brain, especially in my modern brain, um, the one that sort of fed the belief that 
we can make it work with anyone and there's never just one right person for one another. I want to say no, that love at first sight is not a thing. Like it's something that's built over time. Um, and if I were forming an opinion just based on Romeo and Juliet and what we've read here, I'd probably say no, love mm-hmm. at first sight is not a thing. Um, but kind of like you said, I don't think love is completely without magic though. And I don't think I could ever buy into a definition of love that was exclusive and followed a particular rule. Mm-hmm. Um, have I ever seen love at first sight in my own life or in daily life among other people? No, I've never seen it in action. But I think, like I said, there's something so much more magical and real um, about true love than many people will credit love with these days. Right. Um, whether or not it has to look like two people throwing their lives away for each other, there is something to be, you know, there is something to the destined mm-hmm. lover. In my mind, at least, there's something to that, to that one person. And who knows if it's true or not. But I ultimately, I couldn't answer this question either. And I think that's where everyone kind of falls on this question. Let us know. If you have an, <laughs> like, if you have an opinion about this, please let us know. Like, because yes. clearly we're conflicted. So, like, maybe you are as well. Or maybe you have, like, your solid answer. So share it with us if you want. We'd be happy to hear it as well. Yes. Which gets exactly. us into our next section almost. Yes, the fun <laughs> I'm so excited for this. Um, so we're going to talk about, we're going to address some of our the comments that we've received from our audience. Um, we had a lot of feedback. Most of it was not so keen on the Romeo and Juliet relationship. However, yep. we had some differing opinions. So... Yeah, and so what I love about Romeo and Juliet is people get real, real hot about it. (laughs) They get real mad about it. Um, So we're going to just bring up some comments. We picked four from the ones that we'd received Mm -hmm. um, that we thought kind of really spoke to what we were talking about. Um, First, we're going to hear from Kalia. Thank you for reaching Mm -hmm. out. And we're just going to read your email. Um, And if anyone else wants to join in, you know, go to or send us an email. We ship it podcast at gmail.com or go to our website, um, which is also going to be linked in the show notes. Beautiful. But so Kalia, let's see what she had to say. First of all, I would like to preface this by saying that Mercutio deserved better. My man was just trying to chill with his friends and then got straight up murdered because <laughs> of a family feud that doesn't even involve his family. He deserves so much better. Kalia. Yes. We agree. We wholly <laughs> agree with this. better myself. <laughs> Poor Mercutio. Um, but anyway, going back. Anyway, on to Romeo and Juliet. Like everyone, I read Romeo and Juliet as a pimple face braces wearing high schooler. Yes. Me too. Um, and I went to an all-girls school, and I think 14-year-old girls tend to have this grand idea of romance in their head. So when you read Romeo and Juliet, um, your first instinct is to kind of be like, oh, romance, I want this in my life. Um, but once we start actually dissecting the romance, which we talked about before, Devin, as right, well. Right, with my classes, um, yeah. You know, yeah, as one does in ninth grade, all of us, you know, super romantic 14-year-old girls realize, hey, maybe this isn't as romantic as we thought. I think the first thing that really got to us was the whole age thing. Juliet was just the same age as us reading in the class. And while some girls definitely had boyfriends, I don't think any of them would have imagined marrying them at our age. They may have loved their boyfriends, um, or at least the 14-year-old perception of love, but marriage, that was something only adults do, and Romeo was 17. Um, And we all know 17-year-old boys are stupid like that. (laughs) That's just a fact. Um, I feel like that was the main revelation for me anyway, that not all great romances are, well, great. And we really appreciate that, Kalia. Um, We really appreciate you reaching out and sharing your thoughts with us. So let us skip down to the next person who came in. Devin, you want to take that? Yes. So next we're going to hear from Julia. Um, And she writes, I have mixed feelings. So I included two different sides. Romeo and Juliet's relationship is complicated. They definitely have an unhealthy relationship through how obsessive they are. To the point that they go out in secret and go as far as committing suicide to be together. Because they are so concerned with the other person, they don't act with self-love. This is ultimately a problem because it takes loving oneself before someone can love another person. At the same time, though, their relationship is beautiful. They have an almost extreme version of agape love, unconditional love, in the way that they are so selfless as to not want to live without the other person. 
In a distorted way, this captures the promises of marriage because they love each other and are faithful not only up to death but even after death. Also, their willingness to fight for their relationship is super honorable. Their families may not agree with their relationship because of their feud, but Romeo and Juliet see the value of their love. This also demonstrates the challenges of relationship because couples experience struggles and must work through them, just as the literary couple worked through the, the odds stacked against them to, to, the, to an extent. The story is definitely not the ideal way for a relationship to function, but I also believe that some value can be extracted from it. I love Me that. Me too. Like, because it's something that we didn't talk about yet. said. Right. So I think it's really cool. I think it's great because while most of the most of the commentary we're going to hear is pretty negative, <laughs> I think also, Julia, you're right to say that there is something that can be extracted from that just like total and unconditional love. And that's kind of what we see when it comes to Romeo and Juliet. Um, I don't know, Devin, if you had any more comments on that. No, I, I just, I, I appreciated her version, like her insight in it. Um, and how, like we didn't, we personally didn't look at it in this sense of um, loving someone so much that you're willing to, like it's almost selfless. It's not like you're selfish about the person. You're not wanting to live in a world without them, but you're, you're so selfless that you're willing to understand the the responsibilities of a marriage. So I think that's cool. 100%. Alright, and with that we're going to move on to our next comment. Um, and this one comes from Antoinette. My main issue with Romeo and Juliet is that many younger students do not recognize the work as something that ought not to be emulated. I worked as a middle school English teacher for a while and that is when William Shakespeare is usually introduced to students. And Romeo and Juliet is the first work they read. Instead of being horrified at the idea of unrequited love leading to death, they fantasize about a romance like Romeo and Juliet's. It's almost, it almost seems as though the modern understanding of romance almost always requires a difficulty or pain. We see this in all the time in other we see this all the time in other works of literature. Look at the notebook. I'm sorry to be cliche, but it wound up being a modern love story. <laughs> Noah and Ali's romance was not without heartbreak. In order for something to be romantic, it must be attached to pain. That is just absurd in my opinion. I understand mm -hmm. the necessity plot in literature. Don't get me wrong. But to want difficulty in one's relationship leads to nothing but misery. And I wish younger students could see the issue with their yearning for that type of relationship. Yes, Antoinette. <laughs> I think you're 100% right. And I appreciate, thank you for reaching mm -hmm. out. Um, we talked a little bit about how going over it with your teacher and analyzing it might actually be a good thing, but I can also see how it's a bad thing if you don't take from it that this isn't a relationship to fantasize mm -hmm. about. Do you know what I mean, Devin? Have you seen this with your own students? I, I don't think I have, but I also am a male. So I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> so I don't know. Maybe they don't confide in right. the same Correct. way. Correct. <laughs> Devin maybe isn't the one they're confiding in as much. Um, oh, yes, yes, yes. That's where we were. So, yeah, I don't think because of that, I don't think they necessarily confide in me with how they feel about this. But from what I was, like, me as a teacher perce perceiving it, um, I think they definitely, like I said earlier, like, they really dissect it. When they, when they dissected it, they were able to see mm -hmm. the faults in it. So I think that kind of yep. like helped take away the idea of like, oh, this is something that I need to yearn for my for myself. So Right. And it just depends on the teacher that you oh, have, I guess. Like well. and it depends on the students that you have too. Mm -hmm. Um but either way, moving on to our last comment that we chose. This is from Katie. So she says, Do not ship, which I think is going to be our <laughs> ultimate our ultimate uh decided thing here but do not ship um but we were all crazy about the wrong person when we were 13 right right before romeo meets juliet and falls hard for her he's complaining to his friend that rosalie doesn't want to have sex with him so upon seeing juliet makes the huge this huge gesture of love likely out of his own interest just to get laid 100 <laughs> percent true katie <laughs> um Juliet, railing against her restrictive parents and predestined fate, finds that giving herself to Romeo, born of her parents' enemies, um, would make a great escape. There's nothing mature in their relationship. It is pure teen rebellion and passion, but maybe that's what makes it legendary. They're really risking what they have for themselves, not for each other. And since they act rashly in their own interest, end up killing themselves in the process. Who does that? Um, and I, I love this, and I think 
something that you said that stuck out to me is that they're really risking what they have for themselves and not for each other. Their love really does at points seem a little bit yeah. selfish. I don't know, Devin, if you have thoughts on I, that too. I get the selfish parts of it. And like, I see both sides. I see the selfish and I see the selfless sides of it. Um, so it's just hard to really um, see whether or not this was, and I, that's why I think like it's a play. So it can be presented in two different manners. So that's why I think it's interesting how in two different comments, we have this drastic divide. And I think that <laughs> definitely, <laughs> we definitely do have a drastic divide. And I think that that's something that Romeo and Juliet does well is it creates a debate among people that they can, they can, you know, further converse about what real healthy mm -hmm. love is. So maybe it's just a conversation starter. If nothing else, it's a good conversation starter about the topic. Um, so yeah, I don't know if you had any other thoughts, Devin? No, I'm good. All right, cool. Um, so it seems like the majority of people are not sure how to feel or do not ship this relationship. Um, so thank you yes, so thank much you to everyone. everyone who sent in their feedback. Now on to our next episode so you can start sending in some more yes. feedback. Before we go, as Stephanie just mentioned, it would be, we would be remiss without introducing the next episode. So Yay! our next episode is going to be on Gatsby and Daisy from The Great Gatsby. Gatsby and Daisy. Oh, these two have such like a place in my heart. Mm -hmm. And it's mainly because I feel bad for Gatsby, but we're going to talk all about that. <laughs> um yeah, it's going to be fun. So It'll please join us on our next episode and reach out. Um, we'd love to hear your feedback on them. Thank you so much for listening, guys. We hope you enjoyed the show. If you have any comments on the show or want to add some points for the next one, please reach out to us through email at weshipitpodcast at gmail.com or find us on social media. Yes, so we can't wait for next time. Uh, don't forget to subscribe wherever you listen to our, our podcasts. Um, Follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, and we'd love to hear from you guys. Yes, definitely engage with us. Peace out, lovers. Till next time, adieu.